Hi, David Mendez here. This week, I am bringing you yet another great conversation from Season 2. In my interview with Prag Mahanti, you'll hear about his academic journey and about his evolving career path in the pharma industry. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this interview. So get your pen and paper and get ready to take notes. Somebody had told me that, hey, you should go to these competitions because if you don't like this, you won't like the job. And I loved that process. Like I loved working in a team, making a deck, presenting it to a group of people. And at that time, of course, it was like just interesting puzzles to solve, right? Yeah. The moment something that you like becomes a job, it's a little different. Right? <laughs> um, uh, but but I love that process. The same guy had actually told me that like any job, if you don't like the interview process, chances are you won't like the job. And this is something that I I continue to kind of feel through all of the career progressions that I've made. That like if you don't really enjoy the process and the people you're meeting, then you're not going to like the people that you're going to work with. Mm-hmm. Because they represent the culture. Of the industry and of the company. Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. Today I have with me Parag Mahanti. Parag received his PhD in chemistry and chemical biology in 2013 from Cornell University, where his research was focused on nuclear hormone receptors, steroid signaling, and metabolomics. Since then, he has moved careers thrice, first to consulting, then to finance, and currently in pharma. Outside of life sciences and biopharma strategy, Parag's passions include music, both playing and listening, biotech startups, and understanding the evolution of scientific reasoning and leadership skills. Parag takes an active interest in career progression of PhD students and has created a fast-growing LinkedIn group that currently has more than 5,000 members. Parag also serves as mentor for the Entrepreneurship Lab, eLab NYC, originally launched by the New York City Economic Development Corporation to provide mentorship to biotech, health tech startups in the New York area. I'm super happy, Parag, to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Hey, David. Good to see you. You have come from India to to study in the States. That's a whole adventure in and of itself. Tell your story a little bit in a couple of minutes so people get to know a little bit more of uh, of you, of who you are, and of uh, and, and this will pre- you know, this will prepare our conversation for after, which is how you got to the position you're yeah. in today in terms of a job. Um, absolutely. the The story I think would start uh, when I was growing up in Calcutta, India, um, in a in a family that was very much interested in having a scientific career. My dad mm. pursued science, uh, couldn't complete his own PhD because of financial reasons. Um, my uncle had a PhD. My elder brother had started a chemistry undergraduate course and then moved to engineering. So it was a very STEM-focused mm. culture and family. And so it was almost like, all right, you're going to study chemistry. And that was it. <laughs> I had I had some faint... Um, I had some faint uh, kind of, uh, I wanted to say that I wanted to study literature, but it didn't really work. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I studied chemistry for three years in India and our bachelor's courses are three years. 
And that's when I started learning about, oh, you could actually go to the U.S. to do a Ph.D. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, how do you do that? People started telling me about GRE. Then I realized one year for master's is required, so I enrolled myself in a master's program. Mm-hmm. And throughout this time, I was like, all right, chemistry, bachelor's, master's, I'm going to do a Ph.D. and become a professor, right? So that dream continues. Haven't we all had that dream? <laughs> so I came here because that was the goal, right? Like that was like, and and once again, you, if I contextualize it, uh, the culture that I grew up in pretty much um, really looked up to academics, right? And still does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you are a professor, uh, irrespective of, you know, your financial positions or whatever, you are revered, right? You're respected. And so, yeah. and respect is pretty much what people think uh, does everything in the world, which it doesn't, but like, mm-hmm. whatever. Right? <laughs> Indian culture is very different than once I came here and, and I enrolled into a PhD program. I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is super cool, smart thinking stuff. And I can thrive in this. And I started doing mm-hmm. that for first year and second year. And then by third year, I was like, no way. Like, I like the smart thinking part of it. I like the science. But I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And the, mm-hmm. I think main reason was I love the science. In fact, I've stayed very close to the science most of my career. Um, but it was the impact of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. for some reason, I always thought the stuff that I was doing and it was not clinical translational work also, right? So it was not something that you would see immediate uh, immediate replies for, right? Mm-hmm. You would see the kind of work that I was doing. You would see maybe a return or a clinical development of it in like 10, 15, 20 years. So yeah. there's no immediate uh, translation of this work. So that was yeah, talk one about- Talk about delayed gratification there, exactly, right? Exactly, <laughs> right. And then the second thing, um, I will say this, that the, 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 some of the people who I saw pursuing at that time, right? Not, at, not right now because I've come away. But some of the people who I saw pursuing the assistant professor life or the professor life, I was like, do I really want to have that life, right? Like it mm-hmm. was, it was not, like I wasn't, Fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, right? The the I don't know how it goes, but um, the people who I saw around my circle pursuing an academic life weren't weren't inspiring me to do so either, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, okay, if that's the case, then what else is out there? And I that was third year, uh, and more importantly, I think it was more like, oh my god, I'm spending fifteen, sixteen hours a day in the lab. I need something else to do. So I enrolled myself in some random courses, which back then was more of an outlet. Mm -hmm. Now when I tell people to do the same thing, I ask them to actively do this because five years is an average, maybe six years is an average PhD time, right? In Europe, Mm -hmm. it's a little lesser. In um, non-STEM subjects, it's a little longer. But Mm -hmm. you're spending this time enrolled to a university and I came to that, like, suddenly some random music in my head went on. It's like, <laughs> dude, you didn't take a single course outside of your syllabus, and you're in one of the best universities in the world. 
and mm-hmm. it's been mm-hmm. paid for. Like what? <laughs> Other than laziness, how can you justify this when you're done with this? And today, mm-hmm. outside of an university system, I can say like any of us who are not enrolled to a university have to pay massive amount of money to take a course from a university like Cornell or anywhere, right? So of course. So I know myself in history of rock music, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and and entrepreneurship 101, right? Okay. And both those courses I audited and and I was like, wow, this is this is pretty interesting and I met a whole bunch of new people. And then from that I started realizing, oh, just like undergrad, grad school also has clubs that you could join. Mm-hmm. Right and has has societies that you could join, and so I started joining the graduate society, joined the consulting club, joined the finance club, and again, all of this is to just to kind of spend a little time away from lab, just to keep mm-hmm. my sanity. Not necessarily. I have a que- yeah, yeah, I have a question. No, I I didn't do enough of that. Although eventually, got again, you know, when I was towards the final years of my PhD, I started also trying to to widen my horizons a little bit and and finding resources and and you know career counseling things like that um but how did you uh manage the time to to you know to be implicated in, in these different things and how was that perceived maybe around you in the lab because uh, often one of the obstacles we have to uh, as a phd student to do these things is this is going to be perceived as me disinvesting uh, from from my research and it's going to disappoint you know my supervisor and maybe my peers can you talk a little bit about that yeah so yeah both of them are <laughs> super interesting questions right so number one of, of how do i manage the time um i i uh, and by the way Today, I would say I'm trying to practice what I preach, but you will mm-hmm. see me preaching a lot about imposter syndrome and mm-hmm. kind of not not feeling insecure about how much you have achieved these days, right? Totally different yeah. mentality <laughs> 12 years back okay, or, or, or 10 years back. Um, back then, I was like, oh, my God, I I have 16 hours of lab work. I have seven hours left. Um, but I cannot be sane by just the 16 hours of lab work. I will push in two more year, two more hours of additional okay. stuff, right? Um, and so you this is not the, this is not new the rope to, a little bit. Yeah, this is not <laughs> new to grad school. I was I was the, I I spread myself too thin in undergrad as well. Mm-hmm. And people said like, what impacted was my sleep rather than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. So like. Mm-hmm. I did my work that I had to do in undergrad, but then I did a whole bunch of other extracurricular work. And then I was like, oh my God, I have to sleep. And I slept for three, four hours, right? So Mm -hmm. time management back then was more like how much, uh, how worse I can treat myself (laughs) 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 to to get the stuff. uh, There was no time management. I'll be very honest, right? There was no time management. If I would have managed my time better, I think mm-hmm. um, I could have done a lot of other things that and and a lot of other things better. And mm-hmm. the other thing I will say here, though, is um, thankfully and fortunately, I met my wife during my PhD mm-hmm. here um, in 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 Cornell, Ithaca, and that was a big kind of support system, right? Because like there were certain things you're not spending time like you. I found her. We were interested in each other. We dated, and then. 
done, like check mark on that. So there was no more <laughs> spending time on finding another person and in relationships. Mm. I think that was um, another kind of like, all right, I can now focus on work and I'm not, I can now focus on extracurriculars. It, it kind of grounded you in a way. It did, exactly. And to be honest, for all the people who love Ithaca, I mean, I like I like Ithaca for what it is, but it's uh, it's the middle of nowhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you have to, like for someone like me who's super extracurricular and extroverted, I had to involve myself in a bunch of things. So it was, again, mm -hmm. more of a necessity than a hobby for me, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the time management question. And then the question of um, how was it perceived? I, I, I don't think my um, advisor knew that I was part of the consulting club, finance club, and the graduate society. Mm -hmm. Well, the, clearly by the, by the way you, you did it, which was just to put more waking hours in your day, I think you, you circumvented that, that situation. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so coming back to the question of um, who, how did people perceive it? So let's break it in chunks, right? My boss was okay as long as work was done. And he, as, I mean, the flexibility, nowadays many companies give infinite days of vacation. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that, right? Okay. And infinite days of vacation, to be honest, I don't, I mean, I don't know what, it basically puts pressure on you, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it seems like you can take any day, any time off, but it's not, it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's. Well, if you're, if you're a perfectionist, you're in trouble because right. you'll always think, okay, I didn't do enough. I don't, I don't get to, to take my vacation now. Yes. And so for, for us, um, my my schedule and, and during PhD was I would I would probably roll into lab on nine thirty ish ten ish uh, mm -hmm. work for until afternoon then take a break leave go do other stuff uh, in between if I took classes or something that's separate then maybe come back again after dinner which was usually around like eight eight thirty and or maybe later nine and then work. The night shift until like whatever one thirty two. Okay. It didn't matter so much, and so um, my advisor didn't know what was like the other stuff didn't take time, right? Mm -hmm. So as long as work was getting done, he was fine, and he was an assistant professor, so he was of course under the tenure gun, which is why the the work, uh, the 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 intensity of the work was high. Um, However, there was an internship that I did in tech transfer office at Cornell for which I had to kind of like actually have a discussion with him and say like, hey, this is not going to take time away from research. Um, and, and I had to convince him for that, right? Okay. So, so if you're asking whether um, advisors would be usually easily convinced, absolutely not. I mean, no. my advisor <laughs> is not a representation of it in general. I don't think people understand unless they're sat down maybe by their, like the graduate committee or something and made explain to them that, hey, this is important for the career development and the overall development of a student. People don't understand these things. Like they're like, mm -hmm. you're wasting time. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so no, I, I think, I, think I, I didn't experience anything special. It was not as if that my advisor was like, Yes, green light to everything. Go do whatever you want. That was not the case. Some of it he just didn't know because I was doing in the side. 
and some of it I just had to convince him, right? Mm -hmm. Now, here are things that I am telling you that I did. There were things where I wanted to do and I couldn't, right? Okay. So it was kind of a negotiation like, all right, I couldn't do that, so let me do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very good. It does answer my question. I think it represents the reality for a lot of people. Again, like you said, the pressure that the the, the supervisor is on will transfer to the, to the students. Uh, and, and uh, of course, if you're choosing your PhD, depending on how, how well you deal with pressure and stress, maybe this could inform where, you know, what lab, uh, what supervisor you choose. Choose someone who's maybe no longer under the gun, under the gun of the, the tenure uh, the tenure track, uh, I know they, they're already tenured. That could be, that it's could a, be one it's a balance. Have. It's a, it's, I mean, if you're, if you are under, if you are working with an assistant professorship, who's going for tenure, the chances that you're going to get a larger, more than average number of papers is very high mm -hmm. because the, the, he is up on the gun for publishing. And so mm -hmm. if you are one of his first few grad students, you're pretty much setting up the lab with him and part of all the projects that he has just started because he mm -hmm. hasn't diverged, you know, different projects yet. So mm -hmm. pretty much m almost uh, most of our grad students that were part of that, sir, and I was one of them, the, the group of six or so that, that was part of his lab initially, each of us came out of PhD with like seven papers, not all of them wow, first author, of huge. course. But like, just even seven is a is a number that that people are like, huh, seven papers. Not that I'm like, I need those seven papers anymore. But now, if I look back at it, I'm like, well, those were really tough days. But yeah, I mean, it it's productive. Yeah. On the other hand, the the con of working with a younger professor is he is still making his own network, so he may not know that many people for you to know as well. Mm -hmm. Whereas an established professor who has been there for a while, knows pretty much everybody in the field, kind of mm -hmm. figure out, all right, go do this with this guy. Or, hey, mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about a postdoc. I'll make a phone call and you can go somewhere else, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You'll also, also be less stressed about being scooped uh, or, 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 you know, which can be very, very, very stressful for a very young professor. Y yes, agreed. Um, uh, th yeah. <laughs> the projects <laughs> that we worked on had two other labs working on them, one of them in Germany, the other in Korea. We were mm -hmm. in New York. And so one, <laughs> one of the things that we said in our lab um, was the competition never sleeps because <laughs> of where they were. And it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. like you, I'm laughing at it now, but back then it was one of those things like, yeah, you have to like, you know, keep on working. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Just because of 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 uh, the of time geography, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Now, Parag, uh, it's it's very interesting that you you kind of invested in this. Let's say networking. It, it wasn't probably you probably didn't per perceive it as that. You were trying new things, uh, learn learning new subjects, mm -hmm. and and well, and and getting in, involved in groups that worked into in things that interested you, uh, but. I think we can talk about networking and how this translates to some of the things you do today a little bit later. Now, I, I just wanted to finish this part about your your trajectory and, and you know how you came to to work in pharma with this the the maybe the moment where you felt because you already mentioned it you saw 
people around you following the academic path and you didn't you didn't see yourself it didn't resonate with you and maybe it even you even said okay no this is really i wouldn't thrive in this environment can you maybe talk a little bit about when you actually said okay i need to start looking for what's coming next and it's not in academia and how, yeah, you, how you know what were the key maybe strategies that you that you used to you know start meeting people something that led to let's say your first position outside of academia yeah um so this is a layered question right so first thing that i would say is around that third year was the time of that i you call it revelation turning point whatever it was was mm -hmm. the point where kind of a voice in my mind said prague academia probably isn't for you and mm -hmm. it came with all the banks of um imposter syndrome of like uh grief that oh my god i've i've given five plus three eight years with two mm -hmm. more years to go into studying a subject that i'm now going to be planning to leave and not really do much about it right um and it didn't help that pretty much 99 of my friend circle of my uh, family knew if there was one thing that they knew was the academic track, right? Of course. And mm -hmm. and and maybe academic track isn't the right word, research track or R&D track, right? So even if they were mm -hmm. outside of quote-unquote academia, they were doing R&D in like other places. So okay. that, that was the kind of starting point of like, all right, I know I want to not do research, but now what do I do? And this is mm -hmm. the way I would break it down for those who are currently in their PhD programs or postdoc is first come to the realization of, is it a binary? Yes or no? Because it is a binary. Um, mm -hmm. People start thinking, oh, no, maybe let's do a postdoc. And then I will realize, do it only if you are forced to do it. And, and international students have that issue often because you want to go into a, you know, a postdoc because you, otherwise mm -hmm. you lose immigration status. But that question is binary. Do I want to continue this or not? And once mm -hmm. that question is answered, even because a lot of people will tell me, well, maybe the moment you said maybe, the answer is actually no. Because <laughs> you will know if you want. I mean, it's it's not that tough, right? So once you make yeah. that decision um, or it comes to you that maybe this is not what I want to do, then starts the whole question that you're asking of how do I find out what is it that I want to do? Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I did was figure, realize that my immediate network, my friends are amazing, but they didn't know anything about what I wanted to do outside of PhD. Yeah. And so that was kind of the reason why I realized, oh my God, I'm so glad I joined these societies. Because suddenly <laughs> I was with people who were from biomedical engineering or mechanical engineering and somehow people who are in the engineering phd track i don't know why uh they just know more <laughs> about mm -hmm. stuff outside of science right it's more of an applied domain exactly. right so yeah. i guess that 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 would be the reason they they probably have already done some internships exactly uh, right. they, so they're yeah they're more attuned to that whereas where you and i come from it's more uh, basic research, you know, just to, to accumulate knowledge. And, exactly and, that, know. right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I think 
So I was lucky in that sense that I met a few people who kind of sat me down and said, hey, you are extroverted, you like working with people, you like smart problems. Maybe consulting is something you should look at. Mm-hmm. This happened to me. Somebody said, like a few few people said, Prague, based on what your personality is, consulting seems to be a good line of thought, right? Mm-hmm. Did you hear what Parag just said? Widening his circle of contacts during graduate school gave him access to an also wider hive mind to bounce ideas with and get advice from. I've said it before, but staying cooped up in your lab or your department is a loss of opportunity of fully taking advantage of the possibilities and resources graduate school and university offer. Parag then drilled down on his question a little more. Um, and then I had heard about consulting companies while in India as well. I just didn't know what they do. Um, but I had heard that they were like really smart places to get into. And you, if you get into them, people kind of start thinking of you as like a smart person, which is, of course, <laughs> always one of the things that you want to, you know, um, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it happens. <laughs> it's a human thing. Yeah. Um, so that kind of started me getting more interested in in consulting as a career. I will say there was a, and it still is, but I don't think it's monitored well, but I think somebody has done a good job in taking that website and kind of archiving it. The website's called phdcareerguide.com. Okay. Um, it, I think it was done by, I'm, I, I will not actually try to name or guess the name <clears throat> because I forget. But it was done by a postdoc, I think, at Rutgers. Okay. And what it did, this guy basically probably went through the same, uh, same discussions that as we were going through, or you know, mm-hmm. same thought processes. And he put a whole bunch of resources in a very, very well organized way in one website. And what it means is that you click on careers and it shows IP, consulting, finance, tech transfer. Okay. communications and you click on them and each of them opens up on a page and it tells you what that job is what is the average salary and what are the companies that hire for that job right so suddenly you have an encyclopedia where i was like wow seriously i can do all of these things <laughs> and somehow this is interesting now when i look back back at at time 2011 i wasn't interested in finance So I really Mm -hmm. didn't even click on that tab. All I Mm -hmm. clicked on was consulting, entrepreneurship, SciComm. So science, I was interested in science communication. And I figured out, okay, these are the companies that need that, that go through that. And then over one weekend, and he had listed about, I don't know, 150 consulting companies. So he pretty much, so like alphabetically, I don't think he listed it. I think he just grabbed somebody else's list. Because you have these mm-hmm. encyclopedias, right? Of, of, and over a weekend, I had a little small notebook. I went through each of those websites to see who hires PhDs. Okay. And okay. so, like, I had a net notebook of like, all right, this one, this one. So now I have a list of seventeen companies out of the hundred and fifty that hire PhDs, right? Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing, okay, I started talking to people and say, okay which companies are good and bad. And that's when I realized McKinsey, BCG, Bain are like the top three. Then there are others. 
but I did that. And mm-hmm. again, if I have to give actionable advice, there, I mean, the amount of time you spend on something is directly proportional to the impact of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, one can say, one can talk about luck, fate, uh, un, you know, unexpected mm-hmm. uh, outliers. Serendipity. But things like this, this is research. This is what we are taught to do for five years. And yeah. we are taught to research <laughs> other stuff for publications. Unfortunately, we don't do enough, quote unquote, research for our own careers, <laughs> which is which is just not the good idea. Like we know how research can be done. We know, fine, let's get the information first, then let's filter it down to a few things. And then finally, we know the thought process. We just don't yeah. apply it for career. Um, and I'm not yeah, saying like, I it's as if. It's as if we're it's it's we're it's a country that we don't know the language. So we see pla- we see uh, bo- you know billboards or uh, or plates that are probably indicating the subway, but yeah. it's written in Cyrillic. Yeah, and we we just don't you know we just we we know how to use the subway, but just because we're in a context that's foreign, that's maybe uh, you know. Uh, Fear inducing. (laughs) No, I'll take your I'll take your uh, analogy and drive it a little more. Right, if you go to Boston, Mm -hmm. I I love I love Boston as a city just because of this reason. If you go to Boston, because it's a it's a like a biotech Silicon Valley, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you go to the subway of Boston, the ads within this Boston subway are all biotech companies. Right now, now when you're taking the subway in Boston, you're looking at all these ads. If you're somebody who's doing a PhD and doesn't know these biotech companies, I mean, right now, if you're listening to this and you're in Boston, just go through the ads and find out what these companies do. Because, because you know, you, you, you pass ads holdings, just like you said, without knowing what they are or caring about it. Boston is one city where because I'm in biotech or in in pharma, every ad I see, I'm like, oh, wow, they have an ad here. Oh, they have that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's interesting, right? And if I I were to somehow transpose myself into like third year of PhD, I wouldn't know the name of many of these companies. Mm -hmm, And I would just walk beside them without knowing what they are. And that's Mm. that's like the same thing. It's, It's if you... Just you. This is happening beside you in the, your surrounding. Find out what it is, right? Like, mm-hmm. um. Anyway, it's a good analogy. It's a good analogy. <laughs> that's the. So that's the story of um, me realizing that consulting could have been a would would be a good thing, and mm-hmm. then I just joined. I'm, I had already joined the consulting club. I just took a leadership position there, okay. and I started organizing consulting meetings, like people coming together and and cracking or trying to solve a case interview question. Okay, cool. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, there are these case interview competitions that happen. Oh, so my. we formed a team among a few people and we went to different universities. We won a couple of competitions and that pretty much solidified because somebody had told me that, hey, you should go to these competitions because if you don't like this, you won't like the job. And I love okay. that process. Like I loved working in a team making a deck, presenting it to a group of people. Mm. And at that time, of course, it was like just interesting puzzles to solve, right? Yeah. The moment 
something that you like becomes a job it's a little different <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> um uh but but i love that process the same guy had actually told me that like any job if you don't like the interview process chances are you won't like the job and this is okay. something that i i continue to kind of feel through all of the career progressions that i've made that like if you don't really enjoy the process and the people you're meeting then you're not going to like the people that you're going to work with mm -hmm. because they represent the culture they represent the culture of, of the industry and of the company mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and consulting any networking event i went to my first question and my only question was what is it that you like about the job because if you ask anybody if you ask me the job is taxing the job is stressful it will take a chunk of your life when you're doing it um depending mm -hmm. on companies it'll the hours will change depending on who you're working with the interesting part of it will change but it will be stressful um mm -hmm. and and when people told me that then i was like all right if it is so stressful why are these people why are these smart people doing this and so that was my only question every time i asked in a networking event like why do you like consulting and pretty much 100% of the answers were people everybody okay. said they are doing consulting because of the people they work with mm -hmm. and that was enough for me like for me as again as an extrovert i was like oh yeah i want to know more people <laughs> yeah and more interesting it's funny uh, i i went when i was uh, at, at mcgill i went to a presentation by Kin by mckinsey and the guy who was presenting it, it's you know it sounded very interesting but then he mentioned uh, that uh, i think i think his weeks were 80 hour weeks yeah yeah and uh and uh, you know to me it showed even on his face that he that you know it, that he was tired or you know or spent like like you were saying but if you're passionate about it and if you know if the 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 pluses for you uh are are more important than the the, the drawbacks for sure dive in yeah now no. now you you had two other two other like pivots let's say yeah uh, and this this thing of of pivoting uh, is always a moment. There's always a, a moment of um, maybe f not fragility is maybe not the word that I'm looking for. But you are going into this new swimming pool where you don't really know the rules yeah. yet. Uh, you you might have imposter syndrome once you get the position. Um, but what would you say were your go-to strategies to uh, one one? You already said research 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 and and try to know you know even though you have you're not in the industry know as as much as possible as you can before going in and even before the interview process right but how did you prepare for for an interview you already mentioned talking with people so informational interviews for sure must be one of your go-to yeah strategies but um what would you say for people who are you know straight out of the phd what's the maybe three things they should invest in in preparing for this because it's going to happen multiple times in your life yep. changing yep. changing jobs right yep so so <clears throat> it's interesting um i'll i'll start from a higher level and, and go deeper down into the question right the one thing that i've always realized now on hindsight is that i'm lucky to to have a little bit lucky to have an extra extroverted personality because mm -hmm. that makes things easier for me to talk to people, for sure, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty much my first point. Talking to people, as many people as you can, is pretty much the only way 
uh, opportunities that don't show up on job pages will open up to you. That's yeah. like, you can call it networking, you can call it uh, whatever, but it comes down to building relationships by talking to people. And mm -hmm. it does not mean you go to a, of course, with COVID now, that's not the case anymore. But for those who remember, it does not mean you go to a cocktail networking session and just exchange business cards. It means once you have exchanged those business cards during Thanksgiving or during the holiday season, sending them a note, mm -hmm. sending them like, hey, you know, Happy New Year or whatever, keeping that network going, finding an article that you think person XYZ might be interested in and sending it to them. You are mm -hmm. not doing this to get a job. Like that's, I might be like skipping a few steps here, but people say, oh, so I should make relationships so that I can ask them for a job? Absolutely no. Like it'll never work because mm -hmm. those relationships will never work. So let me take a step back. Part one, talk to people. Um, part two, and in fact, this could be number one, know what you like and what you don't like. One of the things mm -hmm. that I learned a lot from my consulting interviews was that I sat down. McKinsey has a great resource of how you should prepare for their interviews. I would suggest everybody, even those who are not pre like preparing for consulting interviews, should do that. Mm -hmm. Why? Okay because they tell you how to break down yourself and your personality, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I actually spent a couple of days breaking down, these are the things that I did, why did I do them, blah, blah, blah. And you can call it introspection, you can call it career prep, interview prep. But I, I go back to that notebook. I have that notebook for 12, well, 10 years now, eight mm -hmm. years now, where I have these like little strategy trees of like i did this most likely because of this and this mm -hmm. shows this and this mm -hmm. goes back to like time of my phd of different skill sets so number one talking to people number one introspect number two introspecting mm -hmm. and then number three is flexibility i can i can be even more cliche and say being easy on yourself this is not easy for most of us i can tell you for a fact that there were there have been and there is still times when i'm like oh why can't i do this i'm a phd mm -hmm. blah 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 i can stay up for 18 hours straight or 48 hours straight and you know finish this job why do i bring that in a job search environment there are there are two things that people will face and i have faced this multiple times where you will think this is the job that you want and you will not get it. If you tell yourself at that point that, oh my God, I am the person at fault here, that's you being hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. And my first job search in consulting taught me that. My third, my last job search that ultimately led to me joining Novartis taught me that or reminded me that is that these things are not about my abilities. These things are about a mutual fit. Mm -hmm. And it does not at all mean that I'm not capable to do something. It just means at that time, that company didn't want somebody with my skill set. Mm -hmm. And that's good enough for me to just, as long as I tell myself that. And th these are, <laughs> these are, um, 
things that we just keep telling ourselves and say make you know make it look good but that's not mm-hmm. what it is it's it's really something that we should be aware of because i have done this myself i know other people have done it where they get a rejection then they start questioning themselves and then they never apply again mm-hmm. and one rejection means actually absolutely nothing two doesn't mean anything just as a fact between my second my last job and the one where i was in novartis mm-hmm. um i applied 10 times and probably had eight rejections right that's a 20% success rate <laughs> Yeah yeah I I think it's it's a great point you make and uh you know there's many things that this solicits for me we're in the middle of covid people are often alone at home they can have a ne- you know negative self thought can be uh you know uh, yeah. really uh having a bad impact on on their day to day mental health and taking it personally when you receive uh, when you have a rejection is just going to worsen things right one of the things that recently in an interview that I, that I've just recorded the person actually said use the rejection as a positive so and what they meant was if you can and especially if you've gone to through an interview process and then the answer was no get back in touch take note of the name of the person interviewing you get back in touch with them and even though they might not even answer but ask them how could i how could i improve on on what i did what were the 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 main factors that meant that the other candidate got the job and make a plus out of a minus exactly exactly right i think asking for feedback is one of the biggest things or biggest mistakes that most people don't do and i didn't mm-hmm. do it until the first you know until the second set of jobs that i applied right like i didn't mm-hmm. learn this the first time around mm-hmm. and then i realized Well, what is the difference between this interview that I didn't get and this interview that I didn't get? I didn't learn anything from this. <laughs> like like I have to learn something. And you know, you're you're spot on 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 that, right? So, going back to your original question, if there were three things that I would ask people to do, I would say talk to as many people as you can who are different from what you are doing. If you are a mm-hmm. physics PhD, go talk to somebody who's doing humanities PhDs, right? Like, find ways, find, and people would mostly say, "Well, I don't have a network." Um, David Mendes, Prag Mahanti are creating those networks for you. Yep, we are actively and daily, uh, and that's how we met. Uh, trying to create networks of like-minded, uh, although not all from the same domain, but like-minded people on LinkedIn. Right. And that was actually I, I was I had that, I had a segue which because you were telling people should try to meet people, people with different backgrounds, and I was totally se- going to segue onto that because one of the things we wanted to, I wanted to talk is well, how can people today from their home network in in an environment that's professional? uh and that's uh yeah that that yeah. we're 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 talking about careers and talking about uh, jobs is is just natural and uh you have uh with with a group of people created uh and I mentioned I mentioned it in the intro a fairly large group uh on LinkedIn can you talk a little bit about that and we're reaching the end of the interview but I think we can finish on that on how today with covid locked down maybe at home you can still work to our, towards a you know a larger network and which eventually although now not directly like you mentioned also you you're not going to talk to someone and they'll give you a job but 
the amount of conversations you have on a platform like this may eventually bring up you know make make bring a contact with someone else who might think of you and say oh you know i had a chat with this bloke <laughs> from from uh, montreal who would would actually and then and then things can happen yeah so um just to summarize for the so meet people be flexible and the second one was um i have to go back and and listen to the recording but almost like basically go go meet people try to find out what you have done and and the, how, the introspection yeah. introspection and then uh flexibility right all of these three things when you double click has other stuff in it mm-hmm. the first one meet new people as you said is linkedin that was my first thing to learn in phd one of my colleagues said hey have you tried the premium membership of linkedin right mm-hmm. and i i took a premium membership while in phd not knowing okay. how much it would help through linkedin i got my first job i oh, applied wow, okay. through linkedin sent my resume the job came up on linkedin sent my resume through linkedin somebody messaged me back on linkedin messaging set up an interview one interview for 90 minutes or so and okay. i got and then the final interview and i got the job this okay, is not amazing. the job I, that i, I didn't know this story, story. <laughs> yeah so so and this is 2013 or 12 um eight years have passed since then and linkedin has only become more powerful so mm-hmm. anybody who tells me no linkedin doesn't work they haven't used it enough they haven't mm-hmm. used it properly and if people ask we spend money on random things linkedin is an investment so if mm-hmm. somebody's asking mm-hmm. how do you meet people you meet people through linkedin um same story now if you look at it because of the same situation where i was one of the few who had gotten a consulting job random people would then message me or email me and say hey can i talk to you cuz mm-hmm. even if it was like there were a lot of people who were doing consulting after phd but whatever the reason was within my friend circle not many and so then okay. their friends would call me up and that's when i started realizing enough people need um need support need more people mm-hmm. to talk to So that's when we started thinking or rather I I mean I had a blog that didn't really I didn't really invest time in it which I called mm-hmm. academic inertia and <laughs> which was like you know you can keep doing what you want or you can stop but unless there's an external force you're not changing what you're doing and that's that's mm-hmm. inertia mm-hmm. um and that kind of led me to meet a couple of people in New York who had an alumni club Um, okay. from an indian university and so i had my ideas so i kind of started collaborating with them and became a co-founder of this facebook group that was focused on indian students mm-hmm. after phd uh but it was purely facebook and that's when i started the linkedin group saying okay, okay. we don't i think the linkedin group is going to be more important also uh, that group was mostly indian students and i wanted to have and stem students mostly and my okay. plan or Very my focused. thought was always go bigger go broader and so the linkedin group started that way and that was back in 2016 so 2016 i'm i'm doing consulting then i moved to equity research which is another high intensity high demanding job so i don't get to spend too much time on that on the linkedin front but once after i came to novartis which is of course also high intensity high demanding but i could mm-hmm. now find a rhythm 
and I knew how much time I could spend on anything. So end of last year, I started realizing, you know what, time is now good to kind of invest time in this. And so that's when PhD Career Networking Group on LinkedIn became kind of like one of the things that I was spending time on. Anytime, okay. like outside of work hours, I would kind of like, all right, who do I need to know? By this time, remember these four years, I have met a bunch of people who are doing things. So like mm-hmm. Roshni Rao, somebody I would mention, she's doing amazing things in John Hop- Johns Hopkins. I knew that she's there. Not yeah. that we started talking, but I knew she exists. Same thing with <laughs> Vanya, right? Vey has been doing an enormous amount of great stuff with Free the PhD. And I was like, I knew Vanya exists, right? So there, mm-hmm. was, there were these little thought leaders who were all doing their own little amazing things. And I was like, okay, first step, how can I get a bunch of these thought leaders into this group so that people actually get, get advice that is from people who have been there, done that? Because the other part of making a group like this is that if you get a bunch of people who are all looking for jobs, how can they really help you, right? Yeah, so you yeah, first there's no value added. added. There's yeah. no value added. So you start with people who actually have gotten the jobs, and then you can start getting people who are looking for mentorship, right? So you get the mentors mm-hmm. first, and then so that was kind of a little bit of strategy uh, but earlier in the year. And then it was kind of just trying to create regular content and creating mm-hmm. content. You're creating content, which is kind of robust, original, and you've been doing that. So I, I found out about you through, I think, Twitter. Somebody mentioned, and I was like, yay, you know. Probably I, Twitter, yes. <laughs> we Somehow through the same situations, I found Vera. Um, and mm-hmm. Vera's doing awesome stuff too, right? And so yeah. suddenly... This is this is an actual example where you start finding people through LinkedIn and through Twitter and connect the dots and say, mm-hmm. hey, maybe this person is good for you to talk to. That's something mm-hmm. I will take a little bit of credit is I'm is I'm good at. I'm good at connecting dots when dots are people. Right? I'm good mm-hmm. at connecting people. If two people I think are 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 supposed are should be meeting each other, then I'm like, hey, I think David, you should talk to Mm-hmm. or you know david you should talk to roshni or somebody like yeah that. So, th- and i confirm to the listeners that this this has happened i've had <laughs> messages saying hey look at what this person posted you might want to talk to them <laughs> but so this this all makes me think of this this um you know the saying that it takes a village to to um to uh, bring up a child and it, what it makes me think there's kind of a parallel with uh with us who are and, and with people who are looking for jobs it takes a community to to uh, make you grow into a, a better candidate and to lead you to your next position. It does. What would you s- No, I think, I think the, the, the other thing that most people make a mistake of is that if you are getting unidimensional advice, then it's unidimensional and it's binary. Either that person is right or wrong. Mm-hmm. If you're getting an, <laughs> advice from a community, then people with different experiences and different, you know, I can tell people now about my experience in consulting and finance and how both of them helped me in my Novartis positions, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody says, oh, consulting jobs don't lead to any interesting things. I I can contest that. The same thing is if I say, well, you know, consulting and finance can only lead to Novartis-like jobs. And then you Mm -hmm. go talk to Nick Edwards who has done like, you know, consulting 
entrepreneurship and then he is hired a strategy position at, at another company. No, it's different. So career paths, as much as people want to templatize it, as much as people want to kind of say, like, how can I get that job? These are not formulas. And therefore, you need more than one people to, to, to share their experience. That is why mm -hmm. stuff that you are doing, right? Like you have 76 episodes, 75 episodes now. These are, this, this is a plethora of information that people not, shouldn't be thinking, oh, person XYZ said this and therefore they should do that. No, you should be thinking person X said this and person Y said this and person Z said this. Mm -hmm. Together, this means I should, that's the concept of the community yeah. that I think, like it cannot be. Yeah. And and then the, the prism of your, because you talked about introspection, you you get two or three or three or four pieces of input and the prism of your values of your preferences of your personality will even then transmute that into okay yes it makes sense to me or even you'll have a fourth idea or a fifth idea oh interesting that they yeah. say that this it made me think of this new thing that no one has absolutely uh, has said before yeah you've seen this in our group right there has been discussions that are so amazing and it doesn't just have to be in the group if I give a very easy example, again on LinkedIn, uh, you are, you're probably familiar with the discussion that's happening today and wh whoever is listening to this this uh, podcast at a later time, will this will not be today for them, but Gertrude's post. Yes. Right? That's an amazing <laughs> post. So just it's for true. the listeners, there's another content creator here, Gertrude Nontera on LinkedIn. And I know her previously through LinkedIn. And she posted, mm -hmm. hey, who are the other LinkedIn creators? And somebody else tagged me and said, Prag is one of the people. <laughs> I came in and it tagged, you know, a, another bunch of people. David got tagged by four or five different people. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly, Gatroot's post has 99 likes and 99 comments. And there are, it is in that post alone is an encyclopedia of LinkedIn content creators. Suddenly. Mm. Like, and so it's it did not happen because of one person and it cannot happen because of one person it's so funny because someone who was on the show uh, in the in season 1 also was tagged and appeared and was like oh he's commenting on Gertrude's post and and he's saying oh we should start a discord channel for, and it's true the potential that you have in the, on this platform is is pretty huge it's pretty huge no i'm uh, no, thank you for being part of it david i cannot say this enough to all the people who are part of the community that Earlier in 2020, knowing that there was a pandemic, I was a little kind of like, oh, my God, as an extrovert, I was going insane. And this community <laughs> kind of like was, whoa, this is another way to meet people. And then suddenly 5,000 people joined. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, Again, by, at the date of this episode, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the the there was a, they crossed so the the group crossed the the mark of five thousand members which is yes. pretty huge yes 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 and just for the listeners David um uh, David also has David and I have collaborated to create a similar group for French speaking uh, audiences that mm -hmm. reached hundred members within the last three months right yeah. Yep. So it's true. So there is <laughs> another just, group that's happening did. for those who speak French, 
David has a group yep. where I am part of, and the other members of the PhD Career Networking Group are part of. That has a hundred people true. already, so that's growing too. So listeners will know that this is a bilingual podcast. Each week we switch from French to English and so on. And uh, I, I approached Prague. I said, Prague, I love the the, the way this group uh, works. The, the and I think it would be great to make a group uh, in French and with offers and and uh, and um, discussions that would be in French and it's growing well and I'm I'm super happy that I approached you about that I remember at first you were a bit like you know well actually said okay we should meet and talk you probably you didn't know me that well right <laughs> and now I, I'm I'm really really happy I did it and again I I really hope that eventually I'll uh, reach the same number as as the the father or the mother group. <laughs> No, I think I think um, I think there's a lot of value in uh, in kind of creating such mini groups. Uh, the the only discussion that I wanted to have with you because the moment you had reached out to us, I was like, in my mind, I can I can share this now. In my mind, was like, whoa, David mm-hmm. is probably the best person to handle something like that, right? And the only thing that I wanted to understand was that I knew you were in Canada. I was like, you're starting a French group. Are you wanting to go back to France or, or, or not back to France, but are you wanting to go to France um, or something like that? So if if somebody comes in with like another such example of like, hey, let's do a Spanish version of this, right? Now mm-hmm. they need to have the 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 impact that you have already had. Like I consider you as a thought leader in the space. I don't know enough Spanish thought leaders in the space, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah. who are those people? And so that's the the, the kind of the thought process. But I'm so glad mm-hmm. to have collaborated with you on that, and and, and I'm glad that we are talking today. Therefore, right? yeah, like, yeah, no, it's true. Parag, yeah. Sadly, we we've uh, we've reached the end of the interview. I think we covered uh, a lot of uh, really great points. I really appreciate the fact that you uh, you have done different pivots af- even after the PhD, and I think that makes it. Your input really interesting because you've you've tuned you know this it's a it's kind of a process that you've gone through multiple times and you have you know you've you've been tuning it each time you've been improving the way like you said uh, at the beginning you didn't ask for feedback and now it's something that's part of it and I think if if there's one thing that I apart from all the advice that you shared and I'll share the links that you mentioned in the show notes one of the things is this is a process. You get better at it as you go. When you get a no, when you get a rejection, it's part of the process. It's a, a step towards the yes, yeah. and it's a it's an opportunity to improve and to get better and to eventually uh, have that meeting with that group that fits your values. You are a good fit with them, and they'll say yes. That is exactly right. Thank you, David. That's I mean, I couldn't have summarized it better. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having been on Papa PhD. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure. And keep doing the great work that you are doing. Awesome. I'll keep trying. (laughs) What a great conversation this was. I hope you took notes. As an extra note, the Grad Grid now has over 9,000 members on LinkedIn and is still growing and going strong. Come visit and chat with some great members of the PhD tribe. And if the Papa PhD interviews have helped you in any way in finding your career path, You can always show your support on buymeacoffee.com or on Patreon. It will be really, really, really appreciated. If you don't do yet, follow Papa PhD on social media, on Twitter and on Instagram. The handle is at Papa PhD Podcast. Also, 
If you like YouTube, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. We just crossed 200 subscribers and it would be great to see you over there. So thank you and see you next week for another episode of Papa PhD.